Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The Jungle Monday Morning Roundup, which I love doing. Let me be real about this. The biggest stars of the weekend, and again, we're talking about an exhibition weekend, but the biggest stars coming out of the weekend to me were actually a pair of head coaches. But I will get to them later on because when it comes to exhibition games, what's it really about? Fantasy. Fantasy alert. It's Alvi season. Almost no leagues involve drafting head coaches. So the head coaches may have been the stars over the weekend, but I'm going to push them aside. They'll get their own take. Let's talk fantasy. Alvi season. So let's get to the action. And let me start you off with a single question. Hey, yo, Chicago. Chicago, how y'all living? Listen, when I'm doing a show that is national in scope, and I'm in Southern California, i got to find a way to bring it all together. I've got to find a way to relate to all of you. Not easy to do, right? So you don't want to single anybody out, but I will single Chicago out. Chicago, how you all living? Because I think I know, and I think that the answer is pretty damn well. Pretty damn well and pretty damn weird. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking specifically about the fact that Chicago beat Miami 2013 Saturday. I'm talking about the difference between Chicago's QB1 and QB2. Because the guy who is QB1, Andy Dalton, looked, well, how do I put this? He looked like Andy Dalton in the first half. He did pretty much what you would expect him to do. He went two for four for 18 yards in two drives, and did not pick up a first down. So you can come in here and clown the red rifle all you want, but that's kind of what this guy does now, right? He gives you mediocre football that pretty much does not move the chains and definitely does not move the needle. You know, pretty much what the Bears quarterback position has been all about for the past few decades. But... He is the guy that your guys declared was QB1 the second they got him. Remember? And what you saw was what you got in those first two series. Then, though, Justin Fields comes in. He was not perfect from the moment he took the field, but in the second half, holy crap, this dude. There was this TD run. Flag is thrown. Fields avoiding the pressure. Take it off. Right here. Right Justin Fields to the end zone will check the flag. Holding defense, the results of the play, touchdown. Shades of Ohio State. Right. I mean, this dude is looking electric. Then there was this TD pass on the next drive. It's a boot again. And Redmond is there to block. Throwback. Fields has Jesse James. Back pedals in. Fields with a touchdown. And the Bears take the lead. Nice play. A little chilly roll. So they got to respect the run. Throwback to Jesse James. Run play action. Best thing for a young quarterback early. Bears hit a big one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's something you have not seen from a Chicago quarterback since maybe the punky QB. Like, there was life. There was juice. There was a reason to tune in. There was a reason to care. And yes, I know it's only one game, and that one game doesn't count, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was enough for the Bears fans to be freaking out about their new guy, and they should be. Hell, even LeBron James was tweeting about Fields. Quote, Justin Fields is so special, man. Keep going, young king. He then chased it with, quote, sent that right before he just threw a TD off the play action to Jesse James. End of tweet. Like, this dude is so good and so electric. LeBron James is live tweeting an exhibition game. That's all. Oh! Live tweeting an exhibition game. That's all you need to know, right, Alvy? I can just envision LeBron sitting back watching that game. And watching Fields do what he does. And then thinking to himself. But it was not just Fields. How about Trey Lance? Trey Lance got some reps for the 49ers. And while he was not perfect, he was more than enough to justify where the Niners picked him. 
and you only needed one single play from that game to see that. And that one single play was in his second pass attempt in an NFL uniform. They're going to boot the quarterback left. Here he goes, deep downfield. Trencher Fields got it. Treyerio. So his first throw's incomplete on a drop. The second one's a touchdown. House call. Absolutely love it. 80 yards. You think the faithful's fired up? Yeah, I think probably. I don't know if LeBron happened to take that in, but if he did. Ah! 80 yards, man. It seemed effortless. And again, I'm not going to sit here and break down film on exhibition games and discuss arm strength or arm talent at length. But that seemed like a pretty easy throw for the rookie. And that one play does tell you a lot. And I'll tell you why. The play tells you a lot because it also produced this quote from a legend. A legend by the name of Andy Reid who was on the opposite sideline when it happened. Uh, he's, he's, you're in good hands. You know, it's, uh, he's, a, he's a good player. He looked very poised, composed. Um, and he had a nice play on the firecracker there that he shot down the field. So, so that's Andy Reid talking about, quote, the firecracker. On that shot down the field. That's what Andy Reid said, but I can tell you what Andy Reid was thinking. Ah! I think we all were. You know, when Andrew Reid is calling out, quote, a firecracker that the opposing quarterback shot down the field, you know it's a good play. And that the Niners have something. Because that's all you're looking for from a rookie quarterback in an exhibition game, right? I mean, sure, they took a really big swing. And they've got really high hopes. But when you break out a rookie quarterback in an exhibition game, what are you really looking for? You're looking for whether or not there is something. Do we have something or do we have nothing? And the Niners clearly have something. Now, he wasn't perfect. He had too many sacks. His receivers had too many drops. He didn't run, although that seemed to be by design. You don't want to show too much. But what he did do was he showed you a lot. Now, I'm not going to say that that means that he showed them enough to bump off Jimmy G as the starter before the opener. I'm not saying that. But it pretty much does guarantee we're going to see this guy. We're going to see Lance in the regular season. And it does guarantee also it's going to crank up the heat on Jimmy G's seat. Now, in terms of young quarterbacks and how they did and the expectations, nobody had more pressure on them in their first exhibition game than Jordan Love. Like, nobody. And he was, you know, he, he was fine. Not bad, not great, not bad. A classic good news, bad news game, which probably is not exactly what the Packers front office was looking for. In fact, you know they were looking for good news. They needed good news. Banking on how this is the guy that they're going to use to shove Aaron Rodgers out the door, they needed good news. Now, he had a really nice TD drive where he went 6-for-6 for 89 yards, and he capped it off with this. Love, Diamond with the big block, screen pass. There's another good block right there, put on by Mays. Over the pylon, that is a touchdown! Kylan Hill with a block by a rookie center, and the rookie running back taking it in for six. So, the Packer fan base and those that don't really get or appreciate Aaron Rodgers, and I know because I talked to quite a few of you this past summer in Wisconsin, you saw that drive, and you saw the way that drive ended, and I know you Packer fans were high-fiving each other and telling each other this. Ah! Anyway, it was nice. But, but after that, he only had one first down in the other six drives. Not so nice. Then he got hurt on a fumble, which was even worse. So Love goes out for an MRI, and the good news is it comes back clean. The bad news is the team may hold him out of practice and a potential second exhibition game. That's bad news because given how much they're putting on this guy, given how much they have invested in this guy, given how they're on the record as saying we need to get him as much action as possible before the season starts, that's not good news. An injury like that, even though he had the MRI come back clean, is not good news because he's going to miss time. Then there's the guy who went at the top of the draft, Trevor Lawrence. Remember when Urban Meyer had that ridiculous claim that Trevor Lawrence was in a quarterback battle with Gardner Minshew? Remember? 
Yeah, that argument, I guess, was that everybody competes for everything on the roster. Yeah, well, here's how Lawrence's first play went. This kid has looked really good in training camp. He's got a lot of people excited. There's the snap, time in the pocket, and he is going to lose the ball as he sacked on his first play. Uh-oh! I love the whole setup, man. This guy looks so good. This guy's got everybody really excited. This guy is the guy. Uh-oh! Strip sack! Uh-oh! Like, if my man really was in a battle, if he really was in a battle with Gunnar Minshew, that would be a really bad sign. But since absolutely nobody believes that he's battling for the starting job, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to sweat that. I'm not going to come for him or hit him too hard for that. I mean, who cares? I am not going to hit him too hard for that. Oh, and speaking of not hitting hard, have you seen the clips of Timothy Richard Tebow playing tight end and trying to block? Yeah, before I get to that, why don't we roll the play of TRT getting robbed of a catch? Tim Tebow is on the field. He's lined up near the bottom of the screen. Back to throw now. Here's a toss, and it is caught by Taven Austin at the 45-yard line, and he goes down near midfield. I'm not sure, but I, I think Tebow expected that ball to come to him, and Austin just drifted in front of him. He did. He has to be a little more aggressive going to it. Hey, listen, you never want to have somebody jump the route on you. Luckily for Timothy Richard, it was his own teammate that jumped the route on him. Some friendly fire, I guess. Luckily for him. Unluckily for him, that was the closest he would come to catching a pass all day. Then again, that's fine, all right? I'm not saying this guy's got to catch seven passes to justify Herb bringing him in and having him change positions at age 34. He can still help the team without actually catching the ball, right? All he has to do is throw around his 250 pounds of, quote, thick polygons and smooth flat planes and inescapable corn-fed handsomeness, end of quote. You know, use that. Well, he tried that, sort of. Not really. And it went pretty horribly. Look, I'm not going to claim to be some sort of offensive line wizard. I'm not Jonathan Ogden. But I'll just say that if one of your highlights is you missing on a block, falling down, then getting up and spearing a teammate, that's not good. Not good. Below not good. Below not good. I don't need to be Jonathan Ogden to know that that's not good. Below not, not good. good. Below not good. I guarantee LeBron was not reacting to that. Actually, in general, if clips of you attempting to block, attempting to block, go viral on Twitter... That also is not good. Below not, not good. good. Below because part of the good. argument for bringing this guy in was that he was going to be able to learn that position quickly and that he would bust his ass on the field as a blocker. Instead, in the clips that did go viral, he was practically waving at guys and ducking out of blocks. Yeah, I can't wait to see how Herb handles that. You know, if everybody really is competing for everything on the roster. Again, Two clips going viral is no way to judge a player, but damn, that is a bad look, man. Bad look. And the longer he's kept around, the worse that look gets. And it's a good thing that Herb lied about that nonsense regarding a quarterback competition. Because if it actually were a quarterback competition, then their once-in-a-generational talent might actually be losing that quarterback competition. You know, the savior. You know, the reason why you took that job in the first place. Coach him up, Herb. You're not a felon. But you've had some felons. I was watching the Aaron Hernandez doc over the weekend. Speaking of felons. Yeah, trust this. He ain't walking through that door. I retract that. I, I retract that. I'm just saying I was watching one of the docs over the weekend. Uh, anyway, what's popping, Twitter? Telephone number is toll free. Some other things I want to get to today. That's just my recap of the players and because it is Alvi season. <laughs> so the unknown came in 2020, right? It changed the workplace forever. And while some of us are getting back to the office, some of us do find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed. 
And so has the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X-Chair's newest innovation, LMAX Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your low back. It is amazing. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with incredible responsive low back support. And now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Like what I'm saying is imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you are working. X-Chair LMAX delivers cooling, Heat and massage technology directly to your core, regulating body temp, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All perks that make working from home or the office awesome. Here's what you do. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chairrome.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. That's xchairrome.com. Pats and Eagles on Thursday night. Good matchup, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. He joins us once again. Tom, it's great to have you back. How are you? Fantastic, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it, Tom. Appreciate it. All right, so really quickly, let me start with a tweet you had earlier this morning. You were talking about Dak Prescott is expecting to practice on a limited basis. You know, when you've got a quarterback coming back from the kind of injury that Dak is coming back from, you never want to see them get hurt again. Obviously, the shoulder, Tom, is different than that gruesome leg injury last year but the team is downplaying it. What's your sense as to the actual injury that he suffered in that shoulder and his status? Well, the Cowboys consulted a couple of baseball teams on Dak Prescott's injury because it's not something you normally see in quarterbacks. It's more so something that you see in pitchers. He started feeling some kind of soreness or pain in his armpit back on July 28th. They decided to take the precaution. They sent him in to get an MRI. It showed a small muscle strain, and really what they came to discover in the coming days after initially thinking he would just shut it down for a few days is this was something that if they didn't continue to rest him, if they didn't take the utmost precautions, could turn into something a lot worse. So as much as we saw Dak on hard knocks last week, he doesn't want to miss a single rep. He wants to be out there all the time. They held him back for his own good. Uh, They continued to ramp him up over the past week, had him throwing a little bit on the side. They had him throwing – in pregame against Arizona on Friday, there was a lot made of the tweet that the Cowboys sent out saying, you know, don't panic. It's no reason to be concerned, but Dak's getting another MRI. That may not have helped matters just from a, a public opinion standpoint, but the thing you have to understand in the NFL, guys get MRIs for a lot of different reasons. It doesn't always mean that there was some kind of a setback or guys hurt worse or they're concerned. This was something that was regularly scheduled. For Dak. Sometimes you get an MRI, you know, all these guys now when they have muscle injuries get these PRP injections. Sometimes you're doing an MRI just to make sure you're putting the injection in the right spot. So obviously they liked what they saw when they put him through those tests again on Saturday. They're going to continue to ease him back in here, give him some today. It might be substantial what he's able to do in practice. They haven't ruled out him playing in preseason game number two against the Texans. But bottom line, Jim, for Dak and the Cowboys, the only thing that matters is get him to September 9th. It's good information, Tom. Now, that tweet may not have helped them, but it helped me. I got a whole segment out of that, man. What a weird tweet that was. And weird is good, and weird is awesome in that sense. Tom Pellicero is joining us. Hey, Tom, what about Jordan Love? He was dinged up in his debut Saturday night, but according to reports, he also had an MRI and it came back clean. What's your sense as to his status going forward? Well, he's got some kind of a strain in his shoulder, and if you look at the mechanism of the injury Jordan Love suffers the other night, you have to be concerned immediately on a replay that it could have been a lot worse. I mean, he's coming forward with his throwing arm. He gets grabbed, kind of the the elbow comes forward, the hand does not. It obviously got torqued in a weird way. The Packers wanted to be cautious with him. I know my colleague Ian Rappaport reported that he's not going to practice today. Then they got a couple of off days. But it was good news on the MRI for Jordan Love. And it's good news for Love and his development and the Packers' ability to see him. Remember, Jordan Love didn't have a preseason 
last year, and he really didn't even get reps in the regular season. They had a guy named Tim Boyle, who's now in Detroit, backing up Aaron Rodgers. So it was Boyle taking all the scout team reps until, you know, he got late into the season, or a minimum taking half of them. So Love had very little exposure through the course of the season. Their plan, whether Aaron Rodgers was a part of this team in 2021 or not, was to give Jordan Love a ton of action in the preseason. So we'll see now as we get later into the week, closer to the next game, whether or not Jordan Love is going to be able to go. You wouldn't think they'd push him out there just to get preseason reps, but they certainly would like to continue evaluating Love on the field. And based on what you saw from the first preseason game, you certainly look at it and say that's the guy who belongs on the field. Mm -hmm. Now, Tom, you have certainly uh, made the rounds. You spent some time with the Vikings as well. Patrick Peterson came to Minnesota in the offseason. Mike Zimmer was not at all happy with his secondary this past weekend. But what do you make about that particular fit? How do you like that fit for Patrick Peterson and for the team? Well, think about this, Jim, and of course the Vikings were so bad on defense a year ago, far worse than any Mike Zimmer defense has ever been. Out of their five starters in the secondary, if you include the nickel, four of them are new. Patrick Peterson's a really important piece. You know, the question with him is just going to be how well does he run at 31, 32 years old, him and Harrison Smith now, the two oldest guys on that Vikings defense. But they like what they've seen from Peterson so far in practice. They really like the leadership that he's brought to that room because last year they were playing a whole bunch of young dudes and they had so many injuries. I mean, there were times where they were pulling guys up from the practice squad, signing guys off the street on a Wednesday and playing them on Sunday. It's not ideal to go through a season like that. So you play Peterson on one side, Rashad Breland, the former chief, he's going to be playing on the other side. They got him back into full work after he was coming off of a surgery in the offseason. Mackenzie Alexander's back. He's going to be the nickel. They brought over Xavier Woods at safety. He's going to play next to Harrison Smith. Of course, up front, the Vikings made huge investments, too. They went out and signed Delvin Tomlinson, the best interior defensive lineman in free agency. Michael Pierce, who was their big signing last year, opted out because of COVID. He's back. Sheldon Richardson, they re-signed him. I mean, they're playing – and they're constructing that defense like they expect to win right now. You don't sign a bunch of 28, 29, 30-year-old guys if you're thinking we're going to build for the future. No, this is Mike Zimmer saying we're going to win right now. They think they're going to be a lot better on defense than they were a year ago. And then it's a matter of that offense with Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Can they keep up? Uh, the Vikings absolutely believe they're going to be competitive in the NFC North in 2021. Breaking it all down with Tom Pelissero. Tom, let me ask you about Seattle and Jamal Adams. I'm jumping around before I let you go. But what about the situation between Seattle and Adams? That continues. Where do things stand with that right now? They're, they've been in a standoff for some time now and there is a difference between i know the seattle times reported the specific numbers they're offering jamal adams 17.5 million dollars per year that would make him by far the highest paid safety in nfl history 38 million dollars guaranteed one issue with seattle's contract structure in general is they don't guarantee future base salaries a lot of teams will use that to up the guarantees the the seahawks just don't do it they didn't do it with russell wilson they have a very specific contract structure that they use and so there's a little bit of wiggle room in terms of what Jamal Adams and his side might want. But think about this. It becomes a math problem for Jamal Adams. If he plays out this season, if he turns down $17.5 million per year, he plays out this season for $9.8 million. They tag him next March. That's $11.8 million. So you're talking about making 22 over 2. And even then, you're not guaranteed to get to free agency in 2023. So you're going to see threats. You're going to see things written about Jamal Adams could you know, play out this season, then sit out next season. Nobody wants to be a 29-year-old free agent who hasn't played in a year. So for Jamal Adams, you can't blame the player or his agents for trying to get the best deal possible. The idea he's actually going to turn down $17.5 million still seems unlikely. Not impossible. You never say never in this league, Jim, but seems unlikely at this point, that they wouldn't find a path forward. Right. Tom, one last topic for you. You know, you reported Thursday that four Cardinal players went on the reserve COVID-19 list because of high-risk, close contacts with a positive individual. As you also pointed out, quote, only unvaccinated players can be labeled high-risk, close contacts under current NFL, NFLPA protocols. Knowing that, how hard are teams pushing to get their players vaccinated? They've been pushing hard, and the coaches have been leading the charge since back in the offseason. And to a large degree, they've succeeded. I mean, it's 90-plus percent of NFL players right now are vaccinated or at least on the way to being fully vaccinated. So in a league where after cuts you're going to have 2,000 players, you're talking about 200 guys 
around the league who are not vaccinated. But I can tell you this, Jim, there are big names. There are quarterbacks, there are star players who are part of that list. And the close contact protocol is one reason that this is going to be an issue throughout the course of the season, because it's not just a matter of do you test positive, it's were you around the positive individual. If you're fully vaccinated under the current protocols, and as we saw last year, these can evolve, they'll probably change over the course of the season, but under the current protocol, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to isolate. They test you, they give you a COVID test for like eight days, but you can stay with the team, keep practicing and playing. If you are unvaccinated and you have a close contact, you are out four or five days. So if we're talking about within the course of a game week, you have a close contact on a Thursday, you're not playing that week. And also, if you test positive, the protocols are different because if you are unvaccinated, you have to miss a minimum of 10 days. You're talking about at least one or two games. If you're fully vaccinated, you can come back with two negative tests separated by 24 hours. So it is actually possible, although, you know, medically, you certainly can debate how likely it is, but it is possible you could test positive on a Monday. And if you're fully vaccinated, you could still be playing in the game on Sunday. Mm. He is an NFL Network reporter. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Palacero. Remember, NFL Network is going to carry eight live preseason week two games this week, starting with Pats and Eagles on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Tom, great job. Thank you very much for doing that. Really appreciate it, Tom. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thanks. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, LendingTree is here for you. With the LendingTree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and your saving and build a budget that works for you. Monitor your credit score. Explore ways to improve your credit. Get automatic alerts to protect your identity. And LendingTree can make sure you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. LendingTree also gives you personalized tips and insight into how to save money and reach your financial dreams. For more than 20 years, LendingTree has helped millions of people simplify their finances with trusted education, expert advice, and comprehensive services. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply, NMLS number 1136. So the Minnesota Vikings got absolutely housed at home by the Broncos, 33-6. to Again, I know that is only an exhibition game. And I know the Vikings were resting something like 30 guys. I know it doesn't count. You go ahead and you try telling that to head coach Mike Zimmer. Because I think we all know, and nobody more so than Mike Zimmer... Everything counts. Because if you try and tell Mike Zimmer that that didn't count and that didn't matter, he's not having it. He was pissed about a number of things, especially Denver's KJ Hamler getting loose on this play on first down in the first quarter. So right now, both sides need to step it up Uh aggressively. Uh Uh-oh. KJ Hamler, center of the field, got behind Dantzler who ain't running right. 80-yard touchdown. Lock, Hamler, 8-0, Broncos. Uh-oh, uh-oh. 80-yard TD. Now, that is the kind of thing that's going to happen in an exhibition game, especially an exhibition game involving K.J. Hamler, a healthy K.J. Hamler, the son of the legendary Mama Hamler. More on that later. Yes, it's only an exhibition game. And it doesn't matter per se, but if you're thinking that Mike Zimmer is going to give his secondary a pass just because it's an exhibition game, then you don't know Mike Zimmer. Again, everything matters, especially to Mike Zimmer. He's not only pissed that it happened, he's especially pissed that it happened against the Broncos, a team that they had been practicing against a couple of days prior. You know, the the funny thing... I guess it's not funny, but, uh, you know, the little kid that caught the long touchdown pass, we practiced against him for two days. You'd think those guys would know his speed and what he's done. They went one-on-one against him. Oh, no, he didn't. And I love this guy. My man did not just little kid. My dude, K.J. Hamler, did he? 
He did not just little kid K.J. Hamler. The little kid who went right by him? The little kid. Actually, he did just little kid Hamler. He did. No, and no, Hamler is not like some monster of a dude. They list him at like 5'9", 178. I'm just not sure I've ever heard a head coach refer to an opposing receiver as, quote, little kid. The little kid. Especially one that just torched his defense. And one that is going to get his own take a little bit later on. That little kid that caught a long TD pass on us? The little kid that caught the long touchdown pass? What I'm saying is I'm not sure I've ever heard a head coach talk with that level of disgust and disdain about his own guys, much less after or during an exhibition game. But he wasn't only raging about the secondary misreading, quote, that little kid's speed. He also had a little something for quarterback Jake Browning, who threw a pick six to Patrick Sertain. You'd think that uh, Jake would have a pretty good idea on Sertain on, on how he plays and uh, from going against him for, for a couple days. At least he didn't call Sertain a little kid. But then again, he couldn't, right? The little kid that caught the- if there's a running theme from these comments, a thread... It's that Zimmer wants everybody to know that his guys practiced against the Broncos for a couple of days. And apparently some of these guys who were in those practices didn't learn anything from them. And then there was this rundown. This is so good. The rundown from Zimmer about the overall performance in the first 30 minutes. Coach, your team dug a hole early on, but there were some good things that you saw at the end of the half. What did you tell your guys? Uh, I told them it was a a very poor performance. We're going to scrimmage next week with this same bunch because we didn't tackle well, that we made the wrong checks on uh, defense with the safeties. Uh, We throw an interception for a touchdown. Um, Go three and out the first two series. Terrible punts. So other than that, it's been great. Mike Zimmer rules. I love that the reporter is trying to get Zimmer to focus on the good things at the end of the first half. Like, he kind of just threw him a softball, like a nice lob. Like, go up and get it, coach. Like, I I know not to get – I know this guy's going to be pissed. He's Mike Zimmer, and that did not go well. So, I'm just going to – it's an exhibition season or it's a preseason game. I'm going to get him to focus on the positive so he doesn't bite the hand or come after the messenger. And Zimmer's not having any of that. Man, he took that. He blocked that shot right into the stands. The reporter gives him a chance to focus on that 12-play drive before halftime, which led to a field goal. (laughs) Zimmer was not having any of that. To him, that's like talking about moving deck chairs on the Titanic. You want to talk to him about a field goal drive at the end of the half when all that other horrible crap was going on? My man literally just ran down a list of absolutely everything that went wrong when this guy teed him up to talk about what went right, and then he capped it off with, quote, other than that, it's been great. So other than that, it's been great. Mike Zimmer is the best. I'm not sure I've seen him that pissed since he was talking about his boss with the Falcons, Bobby Petrino. And in case you forgot about that, That might have been the best thing ever. And that's not hyperbole. In case you forgot about that, Zim told the Cincinnati Inquirer back in 2010 that Petrino, this is his boss, and how many times would you want to say this about your boss? He told the Inquirer in 2010 that Petrino is a, quote, gutless bastard. Quote that. I don't give a bleep. End of quote. And when told that the paper could not print the word bastard, he said, and I quote, how about this? Gutless MF. You can use that. End of quote. What an absolute king. That's why Mike Zimmer is the best. We can't use bastard, coach. Oh, gutless MF. Yeah, that's cool. I can do that. Is it capitalized? Is it capital M, lowercase f? Ah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we can use that. This dude's the best. Because you know always exactly where you stand with a guy like that. 
Guys like that. Guys respect that. Guys want that. Guys want you to shoot them straight. So he was unbelievable. And I'll get back to, quote, the little kid that beat them. I guarantee a little kid's mom's not going to like that. I hope she is mad. Because when she's mad, she starts to spit rhymes. More on that later on. As long as we're talking about NFL head coaches shooting straight, I want to jump over and I want to talk for a moment about Ron Rivera, Washington head coach. He spoke to Albert Breer about misinformation when it comes to vaccines. As you will recall, Rivera fought cancer all last season. His players had been, however, among the least vaccinated groups in the league. That to me is kind of curious. Ron Rivera battled cancer Yet his team is one of the least vaccinated groups in the league. He's not happy about that. Nor is he happy about the level of misinformation that he believes to be out there. He said, quote, Gen Z is relying on this. This being the telephone. He pointed to a phone. He added, quote, and you got some, quite frankly, bleeping a-holes. They're putting a bunch of misinformation out there, leading people to die. That's frustrating to me that these people are allowed to have a platform. And then one specific news agency, every time they have someone on, I'm not a doctor, but the vaccines don't work. Or I'm not an epidemiologist, but vaccines are going to give you a third nipple and make you sterile. Come on. That to me, that should not be allowed. End of quote. So, why did I single these two guys out? Because like Mike Zimmer, Ron Rivera is going to shoot you straight. And like Zimmer, he's pissed because he fought cancer, which leaves him with a compromised immune system. But let's not confuse shooting straight with running around and looking to take a flamethrower to everything he sees. That's not Ron Rivera. He's a measured, thoughtful guy. So when he's calling out, quote, bleeping a-holes who are, quote, putting a bunch of misinformation out there, leading people to die, end quote, maybe you should listen. And when he's calling out people claiming that vaccines are going to give you a, quote, third nipple and make you sterile, end quote, maybe you should listen to that as well. I'm not going to tell you how to think, nor am I going to tell you how to live your life. Neither is Ron Rivera. But if you're out here putting out a bunch of misinformation about vaccines, then I know this, Ron Rivera is going to call you a bleeping a-hole. And I know something else. He'd be right if you're out here putting out misinformation. No one's getting a third nipple from this. Don't be a bleeping a-hole. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So, when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. My guest is Freddie Roach. Freddie, it's been a little bit of time since you and I last spoke. How you doing, Freddie? How's life right now? Uh, life's okay, Jim. How you been? I'm doing great, Freddie. It's great to talk to you, especially during a fight week. In fact, I'm kind of curious. Freddie, it is fight week, and you've been through so many fight weeks over the course of your career as both a boxer and a trainer. What's a week like this like for you? Is it stressful? Is it nerve-wracking? Or are you pretty comfortable? Uh, this one's uh, it's usually uh, comfortable, but this one's a little odd because we just had a change in opponents, and you know we had three days to go from a southpaw to a right-handed fighter, and uh, the just the adjustments have have been made, and uh, so um, everything's good. But we're in you know we're in a very tough fight, uh, tough Cuban fighter with good puncher, uh, probably a little bit slow but uh, heavy-handed. 
We're talking to Freddie Roach. Freddie, I want to get into that because there was a change and a change in fighter, change in opposition, change in strategy. What about Manny Pacquiao? What has camp been like for you and Manny? How has he looked to you in terms of speed and power? His speed and power is really, really great, and he still has that. And, uh, you know, he, 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 his, his age is going up in numbers, but his work ethic is still the same. He really, he trains very hard still and works, works at it, and he, he's in great shape. We're talking to Freddie Roach. I wanted to ask about that work ethic, Freddie, because, you know, his last fight was two years ago when he handed Keith Thurman his first loss of his career. In fact, Freddie, you and I spoke before that fight. What did Manny show you and how he handled that fight against a great fighter two years ago? Yeah, um, you, you know, he went out there and fought, fought, fought very well. And, uh, you know, his footwork and his speed in and out. You know, the thing is, Manny, he goes in and out of the pocket so quickly. He scores and then gets out so he doesn't get hit back. And uh, he's still very good at that. And we've been working quite a bit on that for this fight also. And uh, But now uh, we made a couple of small, small adjustments. But, you know... We've fought a lot of southpaws, but we've fought a lot of right-handed fighters along the way, and uh, the adjustments are really not that difficult for him. Uh, he he makes them very quickly, and uh, he uh, he knows what he's up against. And uh, you know, we watched a lot of tape on it, and uh, the opponent, you know, heavy-handed, but. Uh, we'll, um, I think Pacquiao's speed is going to be too much for him. Hall of Famer Freddie Roche is joining us once again. Freddie, you always shoot straight, so let me ask you this. Two years is something of a long time to go between fights. Was there any concern on your part that that might be too long? Well, you know, it's funny because over the two years, Manny sends me tapes of his workouts at least once a month. And I, I go over what he's work, work, working on and... Uh, we, we talk on the phone and I, I tell him what, what I like to see maybe the improvements on or, uh, certain punches that we can adjust a little bit. And so we still work together very well. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't physically seen him for two years, but he, I, I, I'm very happy to get that tape in the mail and, uh, just get, get, get his workouts in there. And then he sends me a couple of basketball workouts also. But I don't pay much attention to them. Freddie Roach is joining us. That's funny. So, Freddie, you mentioned at the very top that there was a change in opponents. We know this. The initial plan had been for Manny Pacquiao to fight Errol Spence Jr. Saturday, but Spence had to pull out because of that, high, that eye injury. When you first heard that, what was your reaction and what went through your mind? Um, it was very disappointing. And, uh, you know, at first we don't know who the uh, – Who's going to take the, take his place and so forth? And uh, uh, we, you know we need a high quality of fighter in there. We need something to fight. So they they end up getting get, getting the, a guy who's on the undercard of the show already and was already in great shape. So he it was a good choice and uh, he was the next available opponent. And uh, uh, it's still uh, the, the title is on the line and we'll we'll, we'll be there. All right, so Freddie, in, in watching tape on Ugas and scouting him, what types of things do you see? What do you see in him as a fighter? How different is he from Spence, as an example, as a pure fighter? Yeah, he's a little bit slower uh, afoot, and he, he does uh, follow you around the ring, and uh, he's always trying to land the big overhand right. That's his best punch. He has overhand rights. He has knockout power. He has knockout power in that. And that's one thing Manny, Manny's... We've already been moving away from that and going in the other direction, and uh, working. It's been working very well. And uh, you know, Mandy's using his feints a lot and his head movement, and uh, um, his footwork is going to be the key to the fight. Though, good footwork in, in get in the pocket and get out of the pocket very quickly, and. Uh, because if you stay in the pocket too long, he will catch you. Freddie Roach is a Hall of Fame trainer. He joins me for a few more moments. You know, Freddie, when you talk about Ugas and him looking to land that overhand right, and he's got that home run shot, does that concern you, or do you think that's going to provide some opportunities for Manny? Um, you know, it's something we have to watch out for, yes. And the thing is, but Manny's movement, uh, I think we have it down pat right now. And... Uh, 
I do think Manny will stop him late, late with his, with his, his fast hands and his power is still there. So he, he, he can still punch. And, uh, so it should be a very interesting fight. And then maybe it makes room for another one because maybe this guy's eye will heal and we'll get, a, we'll get that one on sooner or later because I was really looking forward to the two best fighters in the world fighting each other. See, I was going to ask you about that, Freddie. For instance, when you talk about how hard Manny still works and that he's still just really committed to that process and that grind, is it because he wants that one big fight, or do you think that he's in a position where he can continue to line up other fights? Are we talking about plural fights? What's his approach? You know, I, I ask him all the time, are you going to run for the president? Are you going to fight again? And he just smiles at me, and uh, he he doesn't he doesn't ever give me an answer. And uh, you know the thing is, uh, he'll 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 let me know when when it's time. And but I I would love to see him be president of his country because he you know he loves helping people and uh, the poor people. He helps quite a bit. And I mean, he called the president here in the, the other day and he asked him to to me and. Uh, to to COVID, COVID to, to, to for for his country and, and and the president said yes and that was a very good move for on Manny's part and a better move for politics of course but he, and he still knows what he does best and that's box and that's what that's why we're still here. Hey, Freddie, he still does what he does best, and you still do what you do best. And everything I just said about him, I could say the same thing about you in terms of how hard you still go, how hard you still work, everything you've accomplished, and yet you continue to battle and grind and push yourself. At this point, Freddie, what's motivating you and driving you now to keep going to the gym every single day and keep training and working with fighters? You know, I love the gym. I mean, uh, I live in an apartment, but my house is really here in the gym. I feel more comfortable here, and I'm with I have a lot of good fighters, a lot of good prospects coming up, and uh, you know, it's, uh, I just love this game. It's, it's a great game, and uh, you know, I love, I like when real fighters fight real fighters, and they fight each other, and that's what we need. We need to see more of that. That is exactly what we need. That is the best thing about that game. He is a member of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. As I mentioned, he has been a trainer of the year numerous times. He has trained countless world champions. He is the owner of the Wildcard Boxing Club. And you got a big fight coming up this weekend, which I will lay out for you once again. Freddie, great to have you on the show. It's great to talk to you, Freddie. Appreciate you, my old friend. Appreciate it. Nice, nice talk to you. Take care, and uh, good luck with everything you do. Thank you. You too, Freddie. Great talking to you. Really appreciate you. It can happen so easily. You're out with a few friends or coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks. A few then becomes a few too many. It's time to go. And then for a moment, you think of calling a ride. It's time to go. And for a moment, you think of calling for a ride and then think, nah, you're a good driver. You live nearby. You can make it home fine. What are the odds you'll get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Play it safe, plan ahead, and get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Let me change up for a moment and talk some baseball. And I'm doing so because Fernando Tatis came off the injured list on Sunday. And he had just one thing in mind. Quote, make them remember why they missed you. End of quote. Another reason I love this guy. He wasn't gone that long. However, if that were the goal, mission accomplished El Nino. This is what El Nino did in his first at bat back. It's sharply and off the glove at third base of Ellis down the left field line. As Fernando heads for second base, he'll get there standing. A double in his return. First A.B. for Fernando. He's got extra bases. Pretty cool. If that's all he did in his return, that would be pretty cool. Come back, right off the injured list, rip a double to lead off the game. You've had yourself a nice return. That shows everybody that the shoulder is good again, and he accomplished his goal. He made everybody remember why they missed him. But he did not stop there. In his next at-bat, he did this. 
High fly ball to deep left field for Fernando. It's back towards the wall, and it is gone! Fernando's done it again in his first game back off the IL. He homers, and Fernando Tatis Jr. puts the Padres on top one to nothing. Welcome back, El Nino. Welcome back, El Nino. Indeed. I mean, this dude. So, if that's all he did in his first game back, rip a double and crush a home run, that'd be a hell of a game. But, of course, he did not stop there. He came back up in the fifth, and then he did this. The 2-0 changeup to Fernando is hung and hit in the air out to deep left field again. Peralta going back. He's at the wall. It's going to go. Another one for Fernando. He's three for three with a couple of homers and a double in his return. And the Padres are back in front two to one. And we are out of word. It's like he's playing on a, a playground at school. And he's the best player out there. It's something like that. Times about a million. A double and two home runs in your return is not just a hell of a game. That's a freaky game. Let me remind you. This is a guy who came back after missing 15 days with a partially dislocated shoulder. And he did not stop there because he came up in the top of the eighth and he did this. 412 with the bases loaded, three grand slams on his resume. Line into center field, a base hit. That'll score for Caratini. Grisham behind him. Throw goes to third. It's a two-run single for Fernando Tatis Jr. And the Padres take a 6-2 lead. Fourth hit of the day for Fernando. He's driven in four runs. Welcome back, Nando. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody might want to pull El Nino off the Diamondbacks because he is absolutely killing them. Five at-bats, four hits, Two bombs, four RBI, three runs scored, and an OPS of screw it. As Eric Hosmer said after the game, quote, Fernando being Fernando, it never ceases to amaze any of us, end quote. You know that, that whole insert name being insert name thing, that line, has pretty well been beaten to death. It's right up there with, at the end of the day, and one game at a time for phrases that have pretty much lost their meaning altogether. It's pretty much you just kind of bailing out and giving up instead of trying to actually describe what you're seeing. Except in this case, in the case of Fernando Tatis Jr., what else can you say? How else do you describe what this guy did yesterday other than to say he's just him being him? Or that's just him being himself? He's just doing what pretty much only that guy can do. You know, the hunger of being outside and not doing anything for my team for so long, uh, I really did feel pretty bad, you know. And, you know, coming back, just bring your 100%, take a chill, and, you know, you just do what you know what to do. That's how you make your return from the injured list. And that's how you lead your team back the day after they were no hit. Another story that I want to try and get to a little bit later on. That was big for him and that was big for them. Oh, one more detail from yesterday's game. He did all of that at the plate while playing right field for the first time in his career. The thinking had been that they would move him out there in an effort to keep him on the field and off the injured list. This guy played right field for the first time and did pretty damn well there too. Caught all three fly balls in his direction. Generally looked pretty natural out there. Not bad for a guy who had never been out there before. Or as Nando would tell you and did, quote, it was pretty chill. Yeah, pretty chill. It's not really a thing. Just playing a brand new position in the major leagues. Learning a new position in the major leagues. Not a thing. Pretty chill. Man, I got to admit, I did miss that guy. It was for 15 long days without that guy. I don't root for anybody. I don't root for any team but I always root for something to talk about. And El Nino does that on a daily basis for me, and I did not have that for those 15 days. Like, going into every single day, I think to myself, well, I'm always going to start the beat with El Nino. Let me see what he did, because I know he's going to do something. So he comes off the injured list. He gets four hits, a couple of home runs, and he plays a brand-new position on the major league level and plays it well. I mean, I would ask, is there anything this guy can't do? But I'm pretty sure there is nothing that he can't do. I mean, why don't you just put this guy in the rotation at this point? Get him some innings. 
I'm pretty sure this guy could eat five or six innings a night if you put him out there. And in case you were wondering about the NL MVP debate, there is not one. Stop right now. I don't care what your arguments are. I don't care what you have to say on behalf of anybody else. Don't waste your time or your breath. Yes, he has missed some time. You know what? He still leads the National League in home runs. He's tied for the league in stolen bases. He's tied for second in runs scored. And he's having that kind of year despite playing 30 games fewer than anybody else. So what I'm telling you is, instead of arguing about the NL MVP, do something else. Ask not who should be the NL MVP and ask what you can do to protect the NL MVP. What can you do to keep this guy on the field? Because again, I don't really care who you root for. You got to be rooting for Fernando Tatis Jr. to be on the field every single day for the rest of the year. Because every time this guy steps on the field, you've got a chance to see something that has never been done before. He is a very good friend of the program. He is Yogi Roth. Yogi, we are 12 days out from Hawaii against UCLA at the Rose Bowl. I have just one question for you. Having said that, Yogi, how great is ball? (laughs) My man, it is so good. You got the reinvention project rolling. Congratulations on the new show, man. I'm fired up. I've been inspired listening to that bad boy. Talking to you, I've missed you, man. I've missed you. Dude, you too. I really appreciate you saying that, Yogi. Great to have you back. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you, and I miss you. That's why I had to get you back. Before we get into football, then, bring me up to date. How was your summer? Did you get out on the water? What did you get into? Oh, man. We got out on the water. Uh, Our oldest, he's six. He's surfing his own waves, which, as you know, as a dad, like, it just, gives you a different type of joy you never experienced and you see a kid just light up like that my wife and i we uh we got away from the kids for the first time in four years and went to cabo so that was a good time we it it was fun man but i'll say this i haven't worn a suit in two years and i can't wait to get to arizona state and usc on the pac-12 networks in week one thursday saturday and put a tie on and go call a game. I got that. I see you working. Yogi Roth is joining us. Listen, before we get to that, and we certainly will get to that, I do want to ask you about something that happened over the summer. You interviewed Jerry Rice. Now, I bring that up because the story goes, when you were 20 years old, you wrote down a list of 50 things that you wanted to do in your life, and talking to Rice was one of them. What was it like then for that finally to happen and for you to live out that part of the vision? You know, it was kind of cool. I mean, it was very cool. Like, and I'm sure you've had it. I mean, you're a Hall of Famer for a reason. But, you know, as a, as a child, that was the guy that I built my whole training after, right? I found a hill that was the steepest hill I could find in tiny Dalton, Pennsylvania, population 2,500. And I ran it, you know, 10s and 20s and 30, as many times as I could in a day because Jerry Rice did it. I got to college. Same deal. Um, I caught the ball, like every article I'd read of the thousands of catches he'd have in his own bed. I slept with a football. So then I become a professional. I start interviewing people for a living. I've interviewed Joe Montana. I've interviewed you. I've, I've done my thing there. But then you meet the guy that like you literally set out to interview. And I, I can't lie. I flash back to like the 12 year old, like kind of giddy. And I was like, Yogi, hold it together. And here's Jerry, right? We're, we're on Nike's campus at the opening, which is football heaven. And he's got his cleats on. He's running routes. I mean, it was, it was amazing. For a guy who is 50 plus, you know, obviously, and here I am asking the questions and I just went right back to what I knew, which was humanity and sport and how powerful it can be for one of the all time great competitors, let alone performers. And it was it was relaxing when I got there. And when I walked away, I made sure I enjoyed the moment. Um, I really embraced the moment and sat back and said, "Okay, let's go look at that list. And out of the 50 things I wished I wanted to do when I was 19 that I wrote down. I've accomplished 37 of them, and I just talked to UCLA football the other day, and I reminded them to make a list of things you want to do in your life because it opens your eyes to things that you can be in your life. And if I didn't write down that list to interview Jerry Rice, who knows if I'm even in this profession. I love that. I think that's amazing. Yogi Roth is joining us. So really quickly, and I'm trying to talk Pac-12 ball with you, Yogi, but what else is on the list? You've knocked out a number of items on the list. (laughs) What else is still on the list? Give me one or two things that you still want to do. there's a couple – there's a couple that won't happen, right? Like one was like, get my law degree. I, I don't see that happen. And I took the LSATs and, and bombed pretty historically. <laughs> so I don't, I don't see that happen. And right. one was, uh, I was 19. It was like date Paris Hilton. She was a big celebrity. I'm married. So that's not going to happen. But the other one was to see every wonder of the world and to get to all seven continents. I've been to six continents. I've been, I think, to five of the seven original wonders of the world. So now I have kids. Like, I can't wait to get to Egypt. Right? I can't wait to get to Antarctica. So the traveler in me, it's still there. And then and the two of the top things that are still 
my top two goals in my career uh, is I want to call the Rose Bowl. You know, I want to call the Rose Bowl. I can't wait. I will call the Rose Bowl. And the other one is work the Olympics and tell stories around elite performers. And that'll happen too. When? If it's Paris or L.A. or somewhere beyond that, who knows? But but those are two things that were on that list when I was a sophomore at Pitt and remain on that list. We're talking to Yogi Roth. I'm really interested in what's still on that list, but I also am really interested in those things that you're not going to get off the list. That, <laughs> those two are great. All right, so Oregon's number 11 in the AP poll. USC is number 15. Are they the class of the Pac-12 in your mind, or is it a little bit more wide open than that? No, this, this year's the most exciting year in the Pac, and not just because I'm an optimistic guy. Uh, it's because of the numbers bear it out in terms of returning players. We have the most, among all the Power Five conferences, the most returning super seniors. Right? So that's somebody who got a bonus year due to COVID-19. And when I look at teams, they've got the most draftable players in this league in its league history. Uh, you go back to the Pac-12 in 2015, 39 players were drafted. We're usually right around that number. 39 was the most in the Pac-12. It's going to, I think, possibly break 50 this year because of the guys like Jack Jones and Chase Lucas at Arizona State, at Coin Dang, at Cal. Uh, you look at UCLA, I know you had Chip on the other day. All the super seniors are guys that came back for another year. Or every grad transfer they had last year came back to benefit from the extra year. So I think it's just going to benefit our league. So I, I do think uh, Oregon probably is the most talented roster, really young roster. 80% of their roster is freshman sophomores or redshirt sophomores just to paint a picture of that team and then you look at sc they lost the most production in this league and we see Amon ross st brown doing his thing in detroit just to give one of the examples of guys who are no longer there so i look at asu i look at ucla i look at stanford tanner mckee hasn't been named the starter yet i project him to be and i think he'll be the face of the league look at washington trent mcduffie's a first round pick at corner for them and kyler gordon got a 46 inch vertical highest one in the conference is freaky athlete uh, so there's going to be, for me as a broadcaster in this league, there's no week that you're like, ah, I got them. You know, you've got a week with NFL players at every position group, whether I go to Boulder or Salt Lake City um, or, or even up to Pullman. You know, there's so much dialogue around Coach Rolovich and COVID-19 and his vaccination. We're forgetting that they got a pretty talented team. So I, I think it's suitably wide open. I don't think somebody will go undefeated in conference play, but I think because of what I said, our teams will show out in non-con. Like, don't be shocked when Kayvon Thibodeau and Noah Sewell and Mason go to Columbus and make it challenging for Ohio State. It's going to be, and it'll come down to a turnover late in the game. I just, just mark it down. Cal will go to TCU and be able to you know, play in that ball game. Stanford, K-State, UW physically against Michigan, look out, because UW to me is one of the more physical teams in the country, and so on and so forth with our non-conference games. So I think if that happens, we got a new commissioner. we got a turning of the page of the league and leadership. I think we get some of those wins. I think the, the lazy East Coast, southeastern part of the country narrative is going to shift around this league. Yogi Roth is joining us. I think those non-conference games are really, really important, obviously, for the conference, and I think they are going to show out well. What do you make of Jed Fish, Yogi, at Arizona? I love him. I've yeah, known Jed I too. Uh, for a long time, man. We, we both interviewed for the Seahawks the same day, Coach wow. Carroll's first year, and we sat at dinner together. And we just began a friendship. I spent training camp with him with Miami Hurricanes when he was down there with uh, Corey Harris back in the day. Uh, I've kind of been able to stay in touch with him. I had him on my podcast three years ago when he talked about his philosophy as a head coach, and now he's embedding it after being with the Rams and the Patriots most recently. And I did their spring game when Teddy Bruschi and Gronk came back, and I'm calling their game week two against San Diego State. And, and I'm actually going there on Saturday to watch their scrimmage Saturday night. And, and I, I, I love it. I think his what he's done – since he took over, Jim, is a blueprint for head coaches taking over a program that's down. You know, if you talk to Arizona fans, they remember 70-7, to but they don't talk about that. That's not the first thought anymore, the loss they had to Arizona State at the end of the season last year. They talk about the excitement, the alumni being reinvigorated and reconnected to the program and Jed's offense and the staff and all the Hall of Famers he brings back. I mean, Arizona has four Hall of Famers in college football, three of the four are on his staff, if you think about it. So you couldn't, you couldn't be any better set up if you're an Arizona fan for what Jed Fish is doing. Yogi Roth is joining us. Yogi, let me ask you something. You, have a, you had a message for incoming freshmen and things that you wish you had been told when you were a freshman. You know, the world is so different. The game is changing so quickly. And then you've got NIL. I'm curious, what is your reaction to Quinn Ewers skipping his senior year of high school to go to Ohio State early? Does that feel like a significant change in terms of NIL and college football overall? Well, great question and a couple parts to it. 
I'll start with uh, NIL in general. Yep. Uh, and, and I'm and I'm starting a new show in September called The It Factory, where I bring on elite players. Those are probably have deals, you know, regarding NIL and to share their story. Because I think it goes beyond the helmet that they put on, the armor they put on to play every Saturday. These guys have hearts and souls. And when I talk to locker rooms, I'm going to go speak to USC on uh, Thursday night this week. And I'm going to talk to them about, hey, what are the best brands? And they're all going to say the same thing. And I've done this in 40-plus locker rooms. They're going to say, it's Apple, it's Google, it's Nike, it's Microsoft. And I'm going to say, yeah, you know what? You didn't say a name. Right? Nobody ever says a human's name. So brands versus humans, brands versus stories are totally different. So my advice to athletes around NIL is, hey, you're a human being. Right? Don't operate as an entity. Don't operate as a brand. You're bigger than that. You've got a heart and you have a soul. So to transition to Quinn Ewers, who I got to meet at the Elite 11, this is a guy that most of the country found out about because he went viral for a creative throw at a quarterback camp. And you ask him about that camp and that throw, guys were just kind of making trick throws. It wasn't a competitive drill. It wasn't full speed. It just went viral, and that's the era that we're in. And then a ton of attention came his way. And when I sat down with him at the Elite 11 this past summer, he said, I never asked for it. And if you look at him on social, he's not a guy who is like some of the five stars in the past who are promoting themselves all the time, putting out edited videos all the time. He was just trying to live his life and lead his team back to the state championship game in the state of Texas. And then the state of Texas came in and said, hey, you're getting offered this type of deal. You can't do it due to NIL rules, which to me, uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy in that and some lunacy in that. And I'm sure that'll be changed because every state does not abide by that rule. And I think you're allowed to do it in college. Why wouldn't you be allowed to do it in high school? So to me, it wasn't as though he said, man, I'm going to forego my senior year. Get me to Columbus right now to compete. We've seen that before with John David Booty at USC. We saw that before with quarterback Jake Bentley when he went to South Carolina. We saw it with JT Daniels at USC. Guys foregoing their senior year with a plan, with a purpose, get there for spring ball, be around spring ball. Whatever it is, they wanted to enroll early. Quinn didn't do that. He got relatively forced in the situation deciding, well, do I want to take this you know, possibly once-in-a-lifetime deal? Because who knows if he's ever going to play at Ohio State. Let's not forget that fact. Like, you still have to go do it at that level, regardless of what your recruiting ranking is. Or do I not take that money or not take that deal and go play my senior year? And to me, it was unfortunate that his hand was forced by, it sounds like, the state of Texas and the rules that they have around high school athletics and NIL. So my answer is that it's a fluid thing. It's always shifting. For Quinn, I think he's an amazing young man. I'd urge Ohio State fans to take a beat. I know today was you know, the first day. They, they got a glimpse of him. Ryan Day talked about him earlier today. And I'm happy he's going to Ohio State because Coach Day has got a great program that will be able to allow him to acclimate to college football and real dudes coming off the edge in their league and beyond versus you know, making a trick throw to camp where the kid went viral. So mm. I got a lot of thoughts on that thing, and, and I try to just urge all the young players is to, to not see short money. Uh, have a vision for what it is you want to do, partnerships you want to make, and, and tell your story along the way. Good night now!